Good morning. We're going to read out of Genesis, beginning in chapter 10, verse 32. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, or you can turn to them, whatever you use. Uh, I also want to mention, again, that Saturday, we have Good Friday, and then Saturday, it will be the memorial service for, for uh, Karen Moore, who passed away. And so um, if you want to come to that, it's 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. We'll be celebrating her life. And, and Jim and Christian, you're here, and we're praying for you guys, continuing to pray for you. Okay, so Genesis chapter 10, would you stand with me as we read the word? I'll pray and then we'll get into it. Genesis 10, 32. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. It came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they proposed to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore it came, for its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So Lord, we, we start... In your word and prayer, we need you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to feed us. I prepared some things, but Lord, I'm praying you break them fresh for this time we have right now, and you'd feed us, Lord, we're hungry. I ask for the work of your Holy Spirit, that you, Lord, yourself would walk among us, give us ears to hear, that we might not only hear, but then hear under, submit ourselves to the truth as you minister that today. I pray, Lord, you give us open hearts to receive the engrafted word that you, Lord, would take this time that we're we're giving to you in in your word and bless it. Lord, we're praying for anyone here who doesn't know you, that, Lord, you would bring them to a place of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, that, Lord, we would see even more and more. You you said the heavens rejoice more over one sinner, the angels more than, than 99 who need no repentance. So, Lord, that's what we're praying. Bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So again, just this series ends this, this study, Genesis 1 through 11, four events. The rest of Genesis is four people. And so we'll be getting to that series a little later on this year. But right now, it's the final one of the four events, creation, fall, flood, and nations. So we're looking at the nations, the table of nations today. We're also looking back a little bit, running up to it, the genealogies that we're going to look at. So if you look in chapter 10 and verse 1, you see this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth. And sons are born to them. So in chapter 10, verses 2 through 5, you have the sons of Japheth. In chapter 10, in verses 6 through 20, you have the sons of Ham. And then in Genesis 10, beginning in verse 21, it says, Children were born to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The sons of Shem were, and he names them. And then look at verse 31. 
These are the sons of Shem. Now, we get this little thing that's repeated a little differently with each of these three sons. It says, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. So that's why it's called the table of nations. Now, in verse 32 of chapter 10, these were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these, nation, from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So what's that talking about? Well, chapter 11 says the, the whole earth had one language and one speech. So this division is God scattering the world because of the rebellion of Nimrod and the, those, the, the whole earth. He scattered them by giving them new languages miraculously. So it's kind of like you're working alongside this guy and then he starts talking and, and he's, what did you just say? Are you going to be talking about y'all? What? What? And so he divided through that. Now it's interesting when you look at the book of Acts because God through the gift of tongues brought the church together. So it's this work that God's doing right now because he wants, he's going to accomplish his plan. Can you hear an amen? And so the word Babel means confusion. So that's why it's called the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Confusion. Now if you look at chapter 11 and verse 10, after that Tower of Babel, this is genealogy of Shem. So now the focus is on Shem because through him, it's where Abraham's going to come, and through Abraham, eventually will be Jesus himself. So God is fulfilling his promises, and he's going to do it through these three men, and then through the one, Shem, and so the other genealogies get dropped. So look at verse 11, uh, chapter 11, 27. This is genealogy of Terah, and Terah begot Abram. Now, when we get to chapter 11, verse 31, it says, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, so they be, Abram becomes the first of four people, the son of Haran, and, and Sarai, his, uh, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur the Chaldees to the land of where? Canaan. Now, Canaan is going to be a major thing we'll talk about this morning. So in chapter 12, the Lord said to who? Abram. And so it's to Jesus and beyond. <laughs> it goes through these genealogies, eventually coming with Jesus. Just as God promised, God is not bound by time. He's, he's outside of time. He's got th this plan that he's working, and he's going to complete it. So a general synopsis, this is not comprehensive, but from the studies of ethnologist H.S. Miller, there are a lot of them, so you can go on the, on the in fact, I have a, I'll put that map, I have this on a handout here along the other side of that handout are these generations, so you can grab that if you'd like. I also have more of the uh, one that I had for our first study, so you can grab those if you want. But this is a picture of the, uh, places where Japheth, Ham, and Shem wound up. So Shem, the last one we just read about, in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11, is the father of the Arabs and Israelites, beginning with Abram, or who became to be known as Abraham. 26 nations came out of Shem and his five sons. Ham, in cha Genesis chapter 10, he's the father of Africans and Canaanites who opposed God's people continuously. They were Israel's antagonists. Thirty nations came out of Ham, out of only four sons. And then Japheth, chapter 10, the first one, the father of Europeans and Asians. And these are, as it says there in verse 5, the Gentiles. So 14 nations came out of Japheth and his seven sons. Now, how many of you have done 23andMe DNA tests? Or Ancestry.com? Anyone done the DNA? You know, the spit in the thing and send it in? It's fascinating. I did mine. I did actually two of them because I wanted to see if they're just, you know, if this is for real. I am Japheth all the way, okay? That's where I come from, Japheth. And so it's interesting because you, these, these DNA things are taken right back to one couple where it all started, just like God said. And so it's fascinating. 
So anyway, there's a handout here again you can grab. Now, according to God's sovereign purposes, each of these descendants of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, these nations or nationalities have dominated world history at one time or another. So the Ham, the Africans and Canaanites, incredibly influential in early ancient world history. Then you have Shem with the Arabs and Israelites who are prominent, particularly as we would know it, during David and Solomon's reign and during that time of, of world history. And Japheth, the Europeans and Asians, the Gentiles, are dominating now and have been. But I believe, as I look out at the, at the world, uh, that really that I, it seems to me they're all rising up because I believe God's bringing... I believe we're in the last days, and I believe that God's bringing this whole plan of his to a culmination when Jesus will return. And so I'm looking forward to that. Are you? We, we should be looking into the perfect law of liberty. We should be looking into this word called prophecy, because that, is, we're told in Peter, is a light that shines in a dark place, that we do well to be soberly considering the things that are going on in the world and realizing that this is all according to God's plan. He's laid it out for us. Now, we might look at that a little differently, how that's going to work out. But one thing we're agreed on, I hope, amen, is that Jesus is coming again. Can you hear an Amen. He is going to come again. He will rule and reign. That's the deal. And God's in charge of that. That's why I know it's going to work. It's going to happen. He's going to make that all happen. Now, Joel Richardson, who was with us last year in March, uh, is coming again this May, May 17th through the 19th. I hope that you'll make time for him on Friday night, Saturday, or Sunday. He'll be bringing some messages. Now, again, uh, these are things that I think are very important to talk about and to, to look at as far as world pro He is on the leading edge. He's written several books. One of them was a New York Times bestseller. Several books on these things. In fact, the last one that he wrote just came out. I'm about halfway through it. It's on where, where is Mount Sinai located. Fascinating. Because there's a place where it's said to be located. It has been and has been just kind of, but he is, and many others also are looking at this. Where was Mount Sinai? And so he's actually gone there. He's, he snuck in, went up. I mean, so it's fascinating. So he's, he, that's his latest book. But I find these things just fascinating. That there, the Bible continually confirms what man finds. That's what happens all the time. And so God has fulfilled so much already. We know he's going to fulfill the last little part, which I believe is coming, coming soon. Titus put it this way. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's Jesus. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly when? In the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're living in the present age, looking for the blessed hope of Jesus coming again. So I could say, say amen again, because we need to say amen. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And whatever he wants to do, I want to be on board 100%, looking for it, excited about it, and living for him. So now, as we look at these last, uh, this, in this last study, we're really looking kind of 9, 10, 11. There are three people that stand out. There's Noah. There's Canaan, who was the grandson of Noah. And then there's this guy named Nimrod. So I would like to center the study this morning on these three, but really on three things. See, the Tower of Babel is the Tower of Confusion. And what it is, it's man in rebellion against God. That's what it is. So God, looking at that, he had already destroyed the earth because of the same thing. But now he looks at what's going on, and he looks down and he says, now nothing's going to be with help. They're going to just be able to do what they want to do. That's interesting to me. It tells me that man has a choice. 
tells him man can make choices and God honors those choices, but God also intervenes for his purposes. And so he comes down and he scatters them. So the thought came to mind, not the sin of Babel, but the Babel of sin. In other words, sin babbles on. Can you hear it? Amen. Sin is, will, will try and confuse you and try and confuse me about what it is. Sin is disobedience to God. Sin is rebellion. Sin is not doing the things that I'm supposed to do or doing the things I'm not supposed to do. There's sins of omission and sins of commission, but all of it means I'm not doing what God has commanded me to do. Disobedience. So I look at this as Babel defined as a confused noise made by a number of voices. That's Babel. The word is perfect, isn't it? Babel, 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 Babel. Babel is a confused noise made by a number of voices. So then I started thinking, what are the voices of sin? How do, what voices speak to me about sin? Well, there's the voice of the world. And that voice is going to be speaking all the time, contrary to what we know about God. There's the voice of my flesh, my fallen sinful nature. And I'm battling that voice all the time. This corrupt nature that is opposed to everything that God is for. So the world is a voice, my flesh is a voice, and the devil is certainly a voice. Now the devil is very good, he's subtle, he knows how to, you know, sort of draw you along, but he is a voice that's speaking. So here's what came to my mind. There are three voices of sin. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So let me, say what the, let me tell you what the voices say. Number one, that sin will not catch you off guard. Listen, it will, ask Noah. Secondly, sin does not cancel the God's blessings. Let me tell you, it does, ask Canaan. Third, Sin is not competing with God's commandments. Let me tell you, it always is. Always. Ask Nimrod and all those who followed him, which was the whole world at that point. So sin will not catch you off guard. Sin does not cancel God's blessing. Sin is not competing with God's commandments, or we might say competing against God's commandments. Let me say, that's all, those are all lies about sin. But sin is deceitful. The devil is a very good deceiver. Our flesh is drawn to these things because it's fallen. The world is full of these things because it too is fallen. So we have this trinity lined against us. But let me say to you, dear brothers and sisters of the Lord, the trinity of the world, the flesh, and devil is no match against the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and being born again by the Spirit of God. I'm not a dead fish floating downstream. I'm alive through Jesus Christ, and I can swim against the currents of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus said that I can become an overcomer. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Loved us. He loves us. He saved us, not because we're some great people, but because he loves us. And that's why he has the plan right from the beginning, right when Adam and Eve fell. He had this plan where the seed of the woman would destroy the works of the devil. He would go, Jesus would go to the cross and there take care of the whole problem. He would offer us, again, another choice. And that choice between life and death. He would offer that, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Can you hear an amen? Whoever believes in him, it's a choice that God's given to us. So Noah began, verse 20 of chapter 9. He began to be a farmer. He planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Listen, sin will not catch you off guard. No, it will. Now, why he got drunk, we don't know. There are 
But here is Noah, this godly man who's spoken of in the Bible as a godly man. He was there drunk and naked in his tent, passed out. You can, you can, you know, Noah, my hero? Yes, Noah, my hero. So when I look at Noah's drunkenness, Cain's cursing, and Nimrod's rebellion, it reminds me, it reminds me, us, that the flood did not change what happened when sin came into the world. All eight of those who came off the ark, Noah being the, and his wife and his three sons and their wives, all of them came off the ark as sinners. All of them. Secondly, that every other soul born into this world is born with a sinful nature and a weak flesh. Now, let me say that's all of us. All of us. Now, there's no need to make excuses for Noah. Noah sinned. But it's no, you know, especially when they're your hero. And we, we want to excuse sin. That's the, that's the nature of sin. So, well, I did that because. And, but God holds us accountable to what we do, not what we think in that sense. Or what we don't do, not what we, don't think, not what we think we don't do. Omission, he holds us responsible for that. It's sin. And so, we, know, we also don't want to hold up our heroes as invincible. But we do this. And we should, in some sense, it's right. Because we look to those who are examples. We say, well, I want to be like whoever. And I, someone else said, I say, you don't want to be like me. Trust me. <laughs> you don't have to live with me. But here's what I say to that, to these two things. Lighten up on those who look up to you. Lighten up on those who, who, you, who you look up to. Lighten up on. In other words, realize they're not perfect, but they're perfectly loved. So I say lighten up and then brighten up those who look up to you. How? Just be honest. Be the real deal. That's such a brightening thing in my, you know, when you're, in fact, Joel, Joel Richardson is like that. I can, you know, when he was here, just so, such a, a bonding because he's just a guy that's down to earth, John Cowan and Laura Cowan, who came, talked to us about love. Same thing. You sit down and they're just normal people with all the same stuff that I'm wrestling with. And so it's such a brightening thing to realize here's this person that is living for Christ, does love God, is living just like Noah, and yet they have frailties and problems too. Isn't that encouraging? So lighten up on those who you look up to. Take, you know, don't put all that weight on them, but brighten up those. You know, listen, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's true of all of us. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in any moment, dear brothers and sisters, Lord, we can be strong in the Lord only, in the Lord. So that's one. The flood didn't change anything. We we're all born with sinful spirits. But here's the thing that I want to talk a little bit about. I do not want to be brought under the power of any substance or anything. I don't want that to happen. And it reminds me of that. Sin will not catch you off guard. That's a lie. It will. Sin does not cancel God's blessings. It does. Sin is not competing against God's commandments. It always is. And I don't want to be on my power because God has given to us the law, given to us his commandments, not as these restrictive things to make life terrible, but as fences of love to make life terrific. God gives the boundaries in which if we live our lives, and he gave them to us because of sin. He's saying, here's what sin will do to you. You want to climb those fences and go out and go out in that sinful area? It's going to destroy your life. So the commandments are, 
are fences of love. That God says if you live within these commandments, you can enjoy a life like you can't even believe. It'll be terrific. So, Paul said, all things are lawful for me, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Again, in Corinthians, all things are, power, are lawful, but, but not all things edify. There's so many things that are not edifying whatsoever. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of those things come out of our mouths. God help my tongue, like James says. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, the question here is, is drinking alcohol sin? Now, this is a question. I might be stepping on some toes. We might have a little bit. But let me share you what I've come through, and this is only within the last about four years. I had to conclude while embracing my own deep convictions. In other words, for me, it is sin because whatsoever is not a faith is sin. I can't do that. I used to do it before I came back to Christ. And I saw what it does. But I had to conclude that I could not say that drinking alcohol is strictly forbidden in the Bible. But my greatest difficulty is adjusting my expectations toward those in leadership, particularly. It's not that I don't believe we're held to a higher standard. We are. And I'm talking leadership from the home out. We are. It's not that I will not challenge that liberty as part of my responsibility to those that I love and those that I lead. I need to speak the truth in love. I need to share my convictions and why I have them. Drinking alcohol is warned against in the Bible. The truth can be very uncomfortable. It might be right now as I'm sharing with you. We live in a world that's saturated with substances. Breaks my heart. Because I bet you there's not a person in this room that's not affected by it. Or hasn't been. Drunkenness is forbidden in the Bible. Love always triumphs liberty. Always. Daniel Fusco, who is pastor of Crossroads Church in Vancouver, Washington, put it this way for his leaders. Alcohol is not an issue unless it becomes an issue, in which case we have an issue. Unquote. Alcohol is not an issue unless it becomes an issue, in which case we have an issue, unquote. That so helped me. Will it, here's the question. Will it cause you to sin? Will it bring you under its power? In other words, can you walk away from it right now? Be done with it? What about your wife, your husband, your family? Are you stumbling them? What about a brother or sister? who you love and know. Or maybe you don't know and love, but they saw you in your position, whatever that might be, and then they walked in and see you, you know, half-cocked in some bar. What example are you setting? That's my question. What example are you setting? What good is it doing? How does it edify other people? Is it costing you to behave and do things that would be embarrassing or questionable should you be called on them? Again, I, 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 maybe you're uncomfortable a little bit, but these are the things that we have to consider when it comes to sin and what it does and substances and their potential and power for them to take control of your life and my life. 
Alcohol loosens morals and lowers inhibitions. You will do things under the influence that you'll regret, but it's too late. And for many, it's too late because it's fatal. Alcohol kills more teenagers than all other drugs combined. It is a factor in the three leading causes of death among 15 to 24-year-olds, which is accidents, homicides, and suicides. I say this. I've said it to many people. Dad, listen, Dad, Mom, Grandpa, Grandma. You don't know. I have six kids and four, three grandchildren, one on the way. I don't know if my liberty will be something they can handle when they have the legality. I have no idea what's going to happen when they grow up and they have that legal right to drink alcohol, smoke pot, whatever it might be, and they saw dad doing it, they saw grandma doing it, they start doing it, and you have no idea if they can handle it. So I say, what, is it worth it? And you're hearing a little bit of my heart, you're hearing a little bit of my convictions, but I hope that you'll take them as something that I myself desire to see those people that I'm impacting impacted toward God and holiness and righteousness and not loosened up in morals but tightened and considering the things that I'm doing as it impacts other people's lives. Alcohol deceives, takes captive, devastates, destroys lives, families, and yes, nations. I hope you'll think not just twice but every time before you say okay to alcohol or any other substance that the potential it has is powerful to, to ruin your life. Amen. Ruin it. There is great distance, excuse me, there is great wisdom in great distance. There is great wisdom in great distance. You know what Paul told Timothy? Flee youthful lusts. The most spiritual thing we can do is run. Run from those things that are drawing you in. Substances, sexual immorality, run. I think you say flee youthful and oldful lusts. It doesn't change the older you get. Your flesh is your flesh. Flee it. Run for your life. But it doesn't say just flee, but pursue righteousness, faith, love. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He's saying you flee those things and you get in a church, you get in a family. And with those who are pursuing, you pursue. We need to understand we need each other's help in this battle against sin. When we're fleeing, we got to be running with the church. Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we see the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. It's interesting, the coupling of those two verses. It says, don't forsake the assembly of together because what happens? When you do, it becomes easier to sin. For if we sin willfully after we see the knowledge of the truth, you see, when we come together, it begins to sort of renew again every week at least. Every week, as we're with the family, we're hearing the word, it begins to renew in us the need that we have for each other and the need that we have to follow Christ or we're going to be the same ones sinning willfully. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever's led by it is not wise. Proverbs has a lot of things to say about, about alcohol, and it bears repeating. Listen, I've said this before. No one starts out an alcoholic, a drug addict, or a sex addict. No one. 
It's the first choice that becomes the impossible thing to avoid, or so it seems. Some of you are sitting here this morning and nodding in your heart. You don't know what to do. It's got you, whatever it might be. I would say, please, let us do our best to help you. We have ministries in this church that are guided towards certain areas. Let us do our best to help you. With God, all things are possible. But no one can help when no one knows. No one can help when no one knows. So sin will not, will not catch you off guard. Listen, it will. And so here's the thing. You got to guard the warning systems. Guard them. Guard the warning systems. What are they? First of all, your conscience. What are you allowing in your thought life? What are you giving place for? Because it, it begins with thinking and choosing from that. So guard your conscience. Secondly, guard your conduct. Doing is backed up by the power of the Holy Spirit and obedience to God. Guard your conduct. Don't do it. Just don't do it. It's a choice. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness to God, not as instruments of sin. And we don't like to admit this sometimes, but listen, it's a choice. Guard your conduct. What are you practicing? What's become more regular that's not right? The third warning system is your company. Evil company corrupts good habits. Who are you hanging out with? Now, I'm not saying, as Paul also said, I'm not saying you should be out of the world. Not saying that. But you need to guard your company. Who is it that's making the impact on your life? Who is it that's... Put, now, this, this hap, you know, one of the areas the Bible says, do not be unequally loved with, with unbelievers. You know, when you marry an unbeliever, you think, well, I'm going to pull them up. Uh, no, you're not. You ever stand up in a chair and try to pull someone up? You can't. It's very hard. But they can pull you off that chair in no time flat. Guard your company. Who are you hanging out with? Who is it that's impacting you? Who is it that's beginning to steer your mind, conscience? Steer your conduct away from the things that you know as a believer are right. And all these systems must be be, uh, programmed with the truth. With the truth. Paul said to Timothy, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, listen, from a good conscience, and listen, from sincere faith. From which some have strayed, from which some having strayed have turned aside to what? Idle talk, have turned aside to Babel. That's what they've done. May God help us, and I know I speak, I know I'm speaking to the choir in many, many, most of your lives. We love the word, we love to be in it. But listen, being in it doesn't mean it's in us. We need to take that word and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do the things that we know are right. And when we do those things, when we choose to do it, God backs it up with the power of his soul. God will never call us to do something but what that he doesn't enable us to do it. To do it. We yield ourselves to him. He yields his Holy Spirit's power to everything he's called us to do. Now back in Genesis again, chapter 9. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, verse 22, and told his two brothers outside. 
But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. So what is the deal with Ham's son being cursed for what his father had done? I'll tell you, some of the, I'm still sort of meandering through this a little bit to understand this. But I do know one thing from Scripture. That Noah is speaking prophetically that what would be perpetuated through his grandson was something that began in the heart of his father. His grandson's father, his son, Ham. And it appears what's being perpetrated is in the area of sexual immorality. Now we've talked of substance intake. Here's another huge area where sin is rampantly ruining lives. Sexual immorality. Now, it seems borne out in Leviticus chapter 18, so turn there a moment. Leviticus 18, beginning in verse 1, the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read a couple of the verses. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of what? Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now notice verse 6. None of, them, none of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. And then all the way through now, you're not to uncover their, your mother, your mother's sister, your father. And he names all these near of kin relatives. You're not to be involved sexually. Now, the Lord is not speaking about unwittingly stumbling on someone, which is probably what happened with Ham. As the Bible Knowledge Commentary writes, quote, the actual licentiousness and, repuls and repulsivity of immoral behavior forbidden sexual relations of the descendants of Ham. That's what it's talking about. Ham's disposition towards sin bore fruit in the immoral acts of his descendants, the Canaanites. Now, as you read on, God also warns his people about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you, which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you. Now here he names them, seven nations. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. You just want to like add like four more ites. <laughs> seven nations, all descendants of Ham. Greater and mighty than you, and when the Lord your God delivers you, them over to you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me. That's what happens. That's the Canaanites. antagonist to Israel in all of its history. Look at verse uh, 6. 
For you are a holy people, the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen to be a people for himself, a special treasure of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, because he would keep the oath he swore with your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. So God is saying to them as he says to us, who do you want to serve? Who's going to be the one who's going to put you in bondage? And who's going to want to be the one who saves you from bondage? And they are two diametrically opposed kingdoms, my friends. You see, sin will not catch you off guard. It will. You got to keep those programs those guard programs up to speed. Sin does not cancel God's blessing. It does. And so we need to cancel. Listen, we need to close those accounts we've opened to sin. You need to cancel them immediately. You say, well, I, I, no. You need to, in your mind, say, I'm closing that account. I'm canceling that account. I have opened it up to sin. This, that, and the other thing. I'm going to close it and be done with that. I'm not saying you can do this in your own strength. You can't. You've already found that out. Listen to what Galatians tells us. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in any trespass, catch you off guard. Man is overtaken. What do we need? You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. What people need is someone who is willing to say, I get it, I understand it, I would be, but by the grace of God, there go I. That's the first needed thing. You need people in your life. I need people in my life who are gonna bear that burden with me, who are gonna come alongside and say, I get it, I understand it, I'm here to help. I'm here to do what I can. Look at verse five, six. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. In other words, we all need encouragement. All of us. Do not be deceived, verse 7. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You can't be sowing to your flesh and expect to, re- to, to reap a spiritual harvest. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. That's all it's got to offer. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit, the living Holy Spirit of God, the third person of of the Godhead, reap everlasting life. You see, it's a relationship. And as we're walking with the Holy Spirit, he's ministering to us life, not death. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Another needed element of getting out and closing the accounts. We need people. We understand we need the Holy Spirit. And then we need to be busy about doing things that take us away from those and into doing good things. We shall reap if we do not lose heart. May I say just a little interjection here. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not lose heart. I believe prayer is another vital element of closing accounts. It's praying and believing God and praying. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. We need to come before the Lord. Our hour of prayer on Saturday morning, I want to, again, I invite you all, I want to invite you again, please come and join us just for one hour. And we just read a a chapter in the Bible, sing a couple songs, and we pray for our church. We've prayed for you maybe many times. 
We go through the prayer requests of 2018, of 2019, and we pray for them. But we need to pray together, brothers and sisters. My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, Jesus said. Therefore, his opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are the household of faith. Be centered in the church, but be doing good. Another element of closing the accounts. And so Noah woke and he dealt with the sin in his house. And that's so important. I have a lot of things I want to share from these passages. But let me say to you, brothers and sisters, we need the home to be established in the truth. That we're going we're gonna to lead our homes with the authority that God's given us, moms and dads. See, Noah awoke and dealt with the sin in his house. The fifth commandment is a transitional commandment of God's authority being now given to the mother and the father. And when you read through Proverbs and many of the passages, the mother and father are always there when God is speaking about the lack of respect for authority. It's become a major problem that we're seeing in colleges, on the streets, this absolute lack of respect. It's terrible. Honor your father, Deuteronomy 5.16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and you may, that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. See, when there's rebellion and anarchy in the home, it's no wonder we're seeing what we see in, the, in colleges now, now on the streets. Respecting authority is so highly important in a child's life, longevity and happiness. Important also in the Bible when the mother and father are always together when it comes to the importance of teaching respect for authority. Deuteronomy 21, I'll just give it to you. 21, 18 through 21. If a man is stubborn and rebellious, God had a serious, we never read that this actually happened. He had a serious consequence for a rebellious son, a drunken, all that. It was serious. Put him to death and remove the evil from you. Because it's so, it doesn't stop with the son. Deuteronomy curses one who treats his father and his mother with contempt. Exodus, he who strikes father or mother shall surely be put to death. He who curses father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Whoever robs his father or mother and says it's no transgression, the same as a company to a destroyer. Respect for authority. Now, I found this interesting. We're going to do that, uh, a serious short one on the Sabbath, finding rest in a restless world. How many of you would say amen to that? And I, I'm reading, I've read several books now on the Sabbath. I'm looking at the scriptures on the Sabbath. I didn't even think about this as far as this study this morning. But the fourth commandment precedes the fifth commandment. Well, I, I knew that. <laughs> the fourth commandment precedes the fifth commandment, the transitioning of this authority. What is the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And I believe we have lost, lost, lost so much relationally. Because we don't spend time together as a family enjoying God. And the Sabbath is given as a renewal of relationship with God and with our families and with our guests. And it was a time of great celebration, not legalistic thing. They got to keep this. No, it's a day in the week that is, is devoted to putting aside all the other things to spend time with your family and with God and celebrate those things. You see, God designed a rhythm. It's called the Sabbath. Six days and one. Six days and one. So I could, I'll leave it there. Now, the cursing of Canaan, now the contrast of Nimrod. The contrast is stark. 
Noah was a humbled, repentant, and obedient before God. That's what he was. We know that from the testimony of the scriptures. Nimrod was proud, rebellious, and disobedient against God. So when we read, Cush begot Nimrod, who began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That's not positive, it's negative. He was against the Lord. He was defiant in the face of Yahweh. He was the founder of Babylon, the land of Shinar. Now here's a little picture if, if it if you want, there, there's the land of, Sh- of Shinar, Nimrod, Assyria, and all these things that came from that. In Genesis chapter 10, verse 32, it says, from the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. This is the dividing we're talking about that God brings because of Nimrod's rebellion. He would be a world ruler. Let us build our kingdom, not God's. All self-made bricks, mortar. It's man in the epitome of self-ambition. That's Nimrod. Man in defiance of what God commanded. Man independent of God, wanting to do his own thing. That's Nimrod. He wanted to secure his own greatness, and the whole world lead him into the same. There are a lot of Nimrod voices right now that we hear. I want to make a name for myself. I want to have desire, I desire power or prestige or fame, and oh, we battle this all the time. It's in our face all the time with all the social media. Let's, let's put up the image, the image, the image. Hey, is it the real deal? Sin is not competing with God's commandments. Can I have that slide again? Listen, it always is. There's never a time when sin is not competing against God's commandments. So here's what I say. Let the competition against sin begin. Let the competition against sin begin. Let us rise up as Christians and fight the good fight of faith. Let us rise up and lay hold on eternal life to which we're called. Let us rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit and walk with our gospel shoes in this battle that we're in against the world, against the flesh, and against the devil. And with him, all things are possible. And in him, we can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that, all, that those who run in the race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. What are we living for? You see what these athletes go through to train for the Olympics or whatever it might be. It's grueling. Many of them do it for years. Get ready for that one race. Or those two races, an imperishable, and many times the perishable crown. When they get to that pinnacle and they got the goal, all of a sudden life is empty and they don't know what to do. We for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, Paul, not with uncertainty. We're not running uncertainty. This is worth it. We know what we're doing. To the world, it might look foolish. What are you giving your life? You go to church on Sundays? Every Sunday? You're kidding me. No, I'm going because I'm in a race. And I'm gonna, I want to win. And I need help. <laughs> he said, but I discipline what? My body. And bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul was not above being disqualified. He said, I got to be rigorous 
in how I live, rigorous in what I do with my body. Hebrews tells us, lay aside every sin, every weight, and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with joy the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did Jesus do? Endured the cross, despising his shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, when we, in that final run, we cross the line, we're going to meet Jesus there in glory. He's going to have a crown for us, and we're going to cast that before him. You are worthy. We're, we, you, know, we, you did that. You did that. You did that. I didn't. Lord, you did that. You saved me to begin with. And, we're going to, and I'm, going to, I'm going to close this as our, for the final, after we sing a song to close. But we're going to be standing in glory. And unto him be the glory. That's what's going to happen. This imperishable crown. And so looking unto Jesus, the author of face, for consider him. Consider Jesus. Who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. I reflect back on the cross. I reflect back on what Jesus went through there as he's being tried before Pilate. And Pilate then gives him over to be crucified. And the soldiers twist a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put on a purple robe and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands and they spit in his face. But he, like a sheep before its shearers, is silent, said not a word. He endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest being discouraged, you, you, you would be discouraged. We gotta look to Jesus. He wants to take us through the most difficult battles we'll ever face victoriously. And he can do that, and he will do that. So here's the deal. God stops them in their tracks, but he doesn't kill them. And God, in confusing the mankind, was completing his plan. That's what he always does. In other words, God's plan does not, never did, and never will depend on me or you, ever. Thank God through Jesus Christ. What he began, he will complete. What you are in, he will take you through. When it's over, he will see you there. God's plan is God's plan. God's salvation is God's salvation. God's goodness is God's goodness. God's power is God's power. God's love is God's love. God's grace is God's grace. God's mercy is God's grace. Let me say it again. God's plan is God's plan. But sin is still sin. And we must deal with that, understanding it, and then taking our lives and putting them in that place with the Holy Spirit, we can become conquerors. And how serious is it? Again, we look to the cross and see Jesus hang before heaven and hell to bear the sin of the world. So when I come to Christ there at the cross, I realize that all I could do was come to Christ. And he received me. He saved me. It's there at the cross that I find his love. Incredible love. I find that he is good. Incredibly good. I find that their forgiveness from him who owed me nothing. I find at the cross him receiving me and cleansing me from all my sin. There I bow down. My heart rejoices and his accomplishments and presence in my life. And there my hope longs for his return. We're gonna, I want to close with this song that I sort of asked them to do last night. 
because it so says what's on my heart this morning. It's called At the Cross by Chris Tomlin. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. I remember the first time I heard this, I was weeping. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless, where my heart has peace with God and forgiveness, where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. Here my hope is found. Here I'm holy ground. Here I bow down. Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray for a moment as I invite, give opportunity this morning for anyone who doesn't know Jesus, and if that's you, this is for you. It's probably the most important couple minutes we take every Sunday when we've been in God's word. To offer to anyone this free gift Actually, God offering this free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of your sin, the cleansing of your heart, a new life in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. How? By faith. You're going to take God at his word today. You're going to say yes to Jesus. I need my sins forgiven. I want my guilt removed. I want to know that when I die, I belong to God and he will see me through it. So if that's you, there are just three simple things we do. I'm going to ask you to raise up your hand and say, that's me. Second, I'm going to ask you to stand up because in doing so, you're obeying the gospel. And when you stand in confessing Jesus before people, that's not to embarrass you or like, like you're going to, you know, wow, good. No, it's standing up in, in obedience and God washed away all the excuses, all the fears, everything, every reason that you haven't done it until today. So I'm going to ask you to stand up and then third, walk up to the tables where someone will be praying. We have two people on first service come to Christ or come to him to renew their, their commitment. If that's you, as we're just praying, brothers and sisters, because it's a battle. It's a battle. The world does not want you coming to Christ. The devil doesn't want you, so it's a battle. So we're praying for you. If that's you, just slip, slip your hand. Please keep it up so that I can see it. I don't want to miss that. You want to get right with God today. You want to say yes to Jesus today. Is that your hand back there? I see that. praying just a couple another few seconds we're praying see that hand I see that one back there would you stand would you stand who raise your hands I'm going to ask you now just to walk to the table over here walk over there there'll be someone to pray for you with the Lord to receive him give your life to him today if you want to walk over there or maybe someone can go with you you can do that mind, let's give it up for the Lord moving this morning. Would you stand? And we're going to sing this song. Let's just worship the Lord for a moment, and then I'll come up and close the scripture. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.